guys. Welcome back to another Weird Wednesday. I'm Ashers, and this is... Petto. And also... Tony Wash. Oh my god, guys. Guess what? We have another guest again this week. We've really been uh, kind of uh, throwing, throwing these guests at everybody lately. It's been pretty exciting talking to all these different people. What do you think, Pat? I It's it's nice that we have uh, friends, I guess. <laughs> we got friends in all the weird places, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was good. That was really, really well, good. I, was, uh... I struggled with something to say there, and you hit it out of the fucking park, oh, man. That thanks. was good. I appreciate it. <laughs> So, yeah, so I um, wanted to mention a couple things that I that I read this week um, that I'm kind of excited about. So we had done uh, before before there was Pat on the show. My co-host was Ivy and we had done an episode where we had talked about like real life zombies and we had talked about people that um, come back from the dead like they die and then they end up waking up at like their own funeral and things like that um mm. but that happened again uh this week in Argent- argentina happened to an 89 year old woman um she allegedly had a heart attack and the hospital put her down as dead and right before they were gonna put her body through the crematorium her daughter was there and noticed that she was uh breathing <laughs> so she i mean i don't know you know maybe she didn't really die maybe she came back to life i don't know but she's she's still alive currently some of these people like they'll come back for a minute and then they'll just die so it's really yeah. you know but this one she's she's still alive uh no further reports yet because it's still fresh but um so there's been another zombie outbreak in argentina this <laughs> week. um so be ready for that and then there's this one special um situation which i'm kind of excited that we have someone like tony here for for this topic because uh there's a guy in warwick who claims that he saw an alien uh, like mantis like creature like it looked like a six foot tall praying mantis and where was this at you said warwick this was in warwick yeah and uh he says he was coming home from his job at the dog food factory that he worked at and um is this warwick ohio or warwick um i think it's across the pond i'm pretty sure oh all right yeah it sounds Um, vaguely british yeah i mean nobody really there's not a whole bunch of details but he was coming home from his uh, dog food factory job and he saw ufo which he did take photos of um and then he from the bushes emerged this large human like praying mantis and then it kind of backed away and laughed um but you know what's really interesting about this is that you know it's it's my job to investigate these things so of course i see this and uh my first thought is to reach out to the guy and you know they have his name and stuff posted in the article and i can't find him anywhere and he's allegedly like he's 23 and that's weird that a 23 year old doesn't have social media right i mean that's strange he might have hopped off it already i mean if if this is something when this story broke it probably broke locally first before it made the international press he might have he might have locked down his facebook or something already yeah but then he i mean so when you go and research the topic the source material for the article is from a a tabloid called the daily star which is oh. it's not as bad as like weekly world news where it's obviously all satire but it's pretty it's still pretty bad so i'm like mm, i don't know oh that's a bummer i don't know but I've, <laughs> I've heard about these like alien especially lately it's kind of been like a hot topic in the you in the ufology communities are these like alien mantis things and um there's a local well, sighting if- that happened here with one of my friends who claims that he saw one and he's a paranormal investigator yeah, the Mantis. Uh, <clears throat> so I know last week we were talking about Fire in the Sky and the Travis Walton case. Yeah. Um, there's uh, I, I brought up another movie called Communion, 
which was based on the book by Whitley Strieber, and that has um, what was his name, Christopher Walken in it. Tony, have you seen that? Have you seen uh, either of those movies? Oh yeah, I I saw Communion. It's been at least ten years, and I've seen Fire in the Sky a couple times. You know, I remember okay. the movie being terrifying. Yeah, it's Fire in the Sky. Um, but Communion has the Mantis aliens in it. Yeah. When he it, mostly they're the grays, like in the abduction scenes when they come into the house, they're grays. But uh, later on in the movie, when Walken's on the ship, and he goes through this whole like. I think towards the end, um, he goes and he meets the aliens. Like he waits up on a rooftop for them to take him because he wants to have like a face to face, like a reckoning, right? Um, and they come down and they pick him up. And there's Mantis aliens, and he has flashbacks to being a kid as as well um, when he was abducted, like playing in the woods and shit when he was like nine. And there's Mantis aliens. Um, so they're kind of in a, they're not as popular as the greys, but like they're an established part of the, uh, yeah. the mythology. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, I mean, it's been pretty fascinating. I think that's weird. I mean, you know, because if you look at a praying mantis anyway, I mean, they're fucking terrifying, right? I mean, you see one and it's right. like, Ew, look at that guy. Yeah. You know, you don't want to go anywhere near it. Um, the first time I ever, and I remember the first time I ever encountered a praying mantis was not the actual praying mantis itself. I was outside with my friends. I was a very young child. And we found a leg of one and it was huge. And I was like, I do not ever want to see whatever that's attached to. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, I, I ended up seeing it. And still, I'm like, I don't want to be friends with you. <laughs> so I can't imagine seeing one that's fucking human size like that. That's pretty that's pretty horrifying to me. Um, so we definitely need more um alien praying mantis movies out there because you know grays that's that's old news man that's 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 yesterday when these, right these yeah. mantises those things are fucking horrifying so yeah <laughs> yeah I'm telling you. i never really thought the gray aliens were all that creepy especially with how small they are right no, i agree yeah they're so tiny they're so they're unintimidating and it's like i'm not afraid of that now give me something well, that's where the mind like. Oh, that's ahead. where the mind control powers uh kick in i mean if you're looking at them as like that's a villain true. like a monster you know what i mean like it's not the fact that they're stronger than you it's the fact that they could paralyze you with thought and you know and in which case it doesn't matter how big or small they are because you're you're neutralized that's a good point i guess i guess that's true well yeah can you imagine like being the only gray alien that doesn't have mind powers that would suck <laughs> yeah you're the dude that gets left in the ship right like everybody, everybody <laughs> would hate you yeah you'd be totally shunned from your people you gotta wait with the car <laughs> Right. you wait there you you be the little <laughs> but yeah so that was my um weekly uh week my weekly briefing that i had for you guys nothing too crazy has happened yet still waiting on the alien disclosure so yeah well, uh, <laughs> Maybe, uh one day it'll it'll pop up but yeah. something that just popped up on my radar today and i'm kicking myself for not knowing about this sooner and this kind of ties into what we're talking about right now um the uh oh god uh the filmmaker rodney asher who did room 237 which we talked about uh on a previous episode it was a documentary about the shining but it's not really about oh, the yeah. shining it's about conspiracy theories and how yeah, yeah, yeah. people all have all these wacko theories about what the shining's really about um and before that it, which I, i'm kicking myself because i never brought it up on the show as much as we talk about shadow people before that he had a documentary called the nightmare which was all about sleep paralysis and yeah. it went to great lengths to recreate the experiences that people have when they have these sleep paralysis episodes and 
encountering the hag and shadow people and stuff like that. Um, he has a new documentary coming out this Friday called The Glitch in the Matrix, which is all about the simulated reality theory and the idea that that we could be living in um, basically like the fucking Matrix. Oh, yeah. Right? Reality, sure. Yeah. And um, I, I loved The Nightmare and the Room 237 is interesting as hell. So... I'm totally jazzed about this. And like I said, I, I this I just found out about this this afternoon. I didn't know that was the same guy that did both of those documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. I, the night. So you've seen The Nightmare that. before? I have seen The Nightmare, yeah, but I didn't see the 237 one. Tony, have you, are you familiar with either of those guys' uh, movies? I, I saw part of The Nightmare one and I kind of turned it off. It, it just didn't keep my interest whenever I was watching it. But I, I definitely watched Room 237. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I mean, it was... Oh wow! I, okay. I'm very fascinated by the Shining film, the the Kubrick version. So, yeah. What's your take on that whole thing? The conspiracy theories of it all? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people that are very creative have a lot of free time and don't put their creativity <laughs> to better you. Um, yep. You know, I just being completely blatantly honest, I I think it's really awesome that people delve into that film as much as they do, and somebody such as Kubrick being at the helm of it you would understand why people would assume that there is hidden context under a lot of the de- the details of that film. But at the end of the day, I just, I think a lot of that's bullshit. I just think, you know, stuff like yeah. the, 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 the cinematography of it, the transitions between the ladder in the lobby to the, the exterior of the overlook, stuff like that is really cool that they point that out because those are things that you may not notice just casually watching the movie. But when you boil down to all the the specific conspiracies, I just yeah, I think that's a bit much. It felt like people were worshiping Kubrick so much as a filmmaker, which I don't. I mean, I like a handful. Of his, I like Eyes Wide Shut. I like Clockwork Orange. Um, I you know, and that's kind of it. Like I don't the rest of his movies. I'm like eh, about. But um, it seems like people were so sure that this man could not make a continuity error that any time something happens, like a chair was there and then the chair was missing. Oh, he must be talking about Native American yeah. rights. Yeah. And it's like maybe they fucking he does so many crazy takes. You always hear these stories that he makes like, you know, his actors do like, you know, 60 takes in a row. There, there can't be a continuity error. And, and, and you're going to build this whole theory around what the movie's about because – something you know he makes a mistake with the filmmaking but he but they perceive him as being such like this infallible master you know and there's no way that he could have made a mistake that must have been done on purpose he must be trying to send us a message well something similar has happened in modern times with a uh little uh game QAnon? No, yes no. <laughs> we're not talking about them anymore pat that's right. we're done with that oh my sister still is oh my god i'm so sorry um but no it's a little it's a game franchise called uh five nights at freddy's and so it's just huge the kids love the shit not just the kids love the shit it's all the people all the internet gamers and everybody love it and the reason why is because the first game came out and it ended up being huge it was just a happy accident that it got huge and then the second game came out and the game developer filled it with a whole bunch of stuff like there was no mistakes in the game anything that you found in the coding in the scenes in any easter egg you found it was canon 
And he continued to do that through the third game. And then by the time he got to the fourth game, he was kind of burnt out on it. And he's like, people are arguing about colors, different shades of color in the game. It doesn't mean anything. Everybody thinks everything means something and it doesn't. <laughs> and, um, you know, it kind of, he kind of, you know, created this monster of all these people that that are telling him what his game means. And it's like, you know, I think, and I think that that's very similar with, with Kubrick. I think that that's definitely happened. It's just, uh, like Tony said, people have too much time on their hands. But Man. I do think that that's a really interesting perspective because I know that with my films, I do try and create kind of what Quentin Tarantino did sure. and what Kevin Smith has done, where they have like a, a, a universe, right. that, you know, this world that, that encompasses all of their projects and all their characters. And sometimes there's even overlap, whether it's with characters or products in the, in the film or whatever, yeah. or even the stories that the characters are telling. Um, and so I, I do appreciate that. I, I love when you can delve that much into the detail of a story and and if something reaches that type of cult status uh, i say more power to them you know it's just i i do still find it weird that people will legitimately and, and those are just those neurotic people i think that, i'm just that, extremist that, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they, they sit and they think about it and they fixate on it and they can't get off of that topic because right. it just you know there's something wired in their mind that makes them focus on it that much I got into the Five Nights at Freddy's thing. I was because because I'm a big gamer and I I was really into the lore and stuff. But then the fan base ruined it, just like they do everything else. Uh, so I don't even know what to do. <laughs> oh my god, it's a shitty mobile game. I mean, my my I have a ten year old son and he has spent more time watching videos about Five Nights at Freddy's oh, than see, he ever has playing the game. <laughs> yeah, and like, well, because the gameplay. So, um, Tony, I don't know how familiar with video games. Have you ever have you ever played like Night Trap or like? Oh yeah. Oh, okay, so basically, it's it's the same gameplay mechanics as Night Trap, where you are an overnight security guard at uh, a Chuck E. Cheese or a Showbiz Pizza or something, and you have to switch between different cameras because at nighttime the animatronics come alive, okay, and they start working their way towards the security office where you're at, and basically you have a certain amount of battery life to close the doors to the security office. So, um, and you can only leave the doors closed for so long. So you have to carefully monitor where all the animatronics are. Basically, how you how you would beat the game is you would play through it enough, and you would die enough, and you would take notes as you play it, much like Night Trap, yeah. to where you have like a log of what you have to do at what time. Which is, if you find that is a fun way to play a video game, go right the fuck ahead. But um, then you know you play through it enough to you develop, you figure out the pattern, you write it down, and then you can go through and you can make it through and survive. Well, the night. it's not a pattern; it's just you have to be quick enough. I mean, you you end up your reflexes because it's you can't time the stuff out; it is random, um, and it gets harder and harder. You got you got to stay for five nights, and every single night gets no. progressively harder. Are you sure it's random? I've played every single game, Pat. <laughs> really? I've only played. I haven't watched people. I have played. Yes, it's random. <laughs> yeah i've never even heard of this before because i mean i'm not i'm not a huge gamer but i have a ps4 and i play a couple of games on my mo on my phone when i'm when i'm not doing anything else i've just never even heard of this game i've never I'm seen surprised. It. it's a big i mean it's big in the horror community pretty much have then, you seen the oh go ahead. have you seen the trailer for that uh nicholas cage movie that's coming out i have uh i feel like he's in a thousand movies <laughs> so he he's got uh it's called like happy land murders or something uh basically nicholas cage has got a movie coming out where he plays the overnight security guard that gets locked in 
um, Willie's Wonderland. Oh, yeah. And he plays like the overnight security guard that's locked in, but he ends up being a bigger lunatic than the killer animatronic robots. And well, it's of him course he is. <laughs> chewing up the scenery covered in fake blood, screaming at the camera okay. while he like chases around an animatronic bunny and shit. Um, you know, coming on VOD. I think it comes out this month, actually. It comes out on, like, yeah. the 15th or some shit. It's coming. It never yeah. ceases to amaze me what scripts get picked up and produced. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's Five Nights at Freddy's fans, man. They'll be all, I'm sure they'll somehow make this canon to that series. It'll be ridiculous, I'm sure. Well, I, but I, I always loved those games when Sega CD was popular. I thought Night Trap was awesome. Double Switch. Oh, Double Switch was fucking incredible. Yeah, Double Switch was great. I And... I'm trying to think. My buddy was texting me about. I guess they're re-releasing Ground Zero Texas. Oh my god, that <laughs> one! That fucking Christmas when that came out, that was that was my life. Was Ground Zero Texas? I was so fucking pumped for that game. Yeah, and uh, and then I came out and I I got a Sega CD and it broke within like three days of having it and this was before there was any internet this was like 95 94 and like there was no internet internet there was nothing so i couldn't figure out what the fuck was wrong with my sega cd until finally i called like the 1-800 sega number and i sat on i sat on the phone for like three hours for them to say oh yeah well it's defective you got to take it back to kmark they'll give you a new one and like go and then i get my new sega cd and play ground the rest of Christmas vacation played Ground Zero Texas. And that was different, though, because that was kind of like you move that cursor on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. You had to bounce around. Um, that was like that was like that zombie one, the zombie island or whatever. That was one. that island thing. Yeah, that one was OK. Yeah. I like Sewer Shark and Ground wow. Zero Texas. Shoot the tubes, dog meat. And uh, Sewer Shark, relax. Pretend it's a game. Maybe you even have fun. <laughs> They re they re released uh, Night Switch on um, the Switch, the Nintendo Switch. Night Trap, yeah, I, yeah. Night I Trap, it. Night Trap. I have it on the PlayStation Four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, I didn't get Double Switch yet, but like, oh my god, I remember Corey, which one of the Corys is in it? Corey Haim. Yes. Yeah, Corey Haim. And that uh, that's that band playing the the night Double Switch song. Oh my god, that's like those those full motion video games were incredible that was such cool technology i learned to edit because of the crisscross make your own music video maker like that like perfectly conveyed how you edit like the bait the the the, um the basics of it and stuff like those that was i'm gonna start rambling about video games now (laughs) yeah a bit of a tangent sorry i kind of dude you you pushed my button when when you said ground zero texas my head just (laughs) fucking blew up i'm sorry yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, because when my my buddy says so my buddy jason who does all the special effects in my movies so he's my like horror nerd friend and when he when he sent me that text message and said they're re-releasing ground zero texas i was like it was like you know you have that like life flashing before your eyes moment where i was like all of a sudden i was 13 again i was like holy fuck i haven't thought of ground zero texas in 27 years where the hell did that come from you know? <laughs> I, I worked midnights for seven years, so I've I've watched the cutscenes for all this stuff uh, at some point and th- at three in the morning while on the clock. Uh, but yeah, because like you talk about Night Trap, the gameplay for that sucks. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you if you play the game to win, it's you awful. don't know what you don't know what the story is. You almost have to like. That's one of those things where you're better off going on YouTube and watching because somebody that's. Uh, 
at some point some i mean i know it's up there because i've seen it but like you know watch the 40 minute night trap movie which is all of all of the actual story stuff just cut together yeah and then you get the full story about the vampires and the family and the kids and the, goof, <laughs> the, the weirdo outside and shit like that like you get the full story if you were to play the game and when you don't know what the fuck is going on because no, you can't no, watch any of it you're in dark rooms half the time <laughs> right waiting for that those tar dudes to like fall through a hole where's where's uh yeah vampires ever like such a, cool game. such a cool concept for a game i mean being that that came out that was one of the first games for sega cd and i remember that came out like probably 1992 so i'm 12 years old sure that game blew my mind. I'm a horror fan and I love I love girls running around in their underwear. That game was like bar none for me. I was like, this is it. This is all I need for the rest of my life is <laughs> and Night Trap and Sewer Shark, of course. Um, yes. Which I, I I never even beat Sewer Shark. I'm so disappointed oh, I did. myself. Sewer Shark wasn't it it, it was I, I I beat it. It, it was like a skill you had to develop because it was just it was memorizing the pattern. That's all those games were. It was like it was like Dragon Lair. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's not gameplay. It's not it's not a platformer. It's not an RPG where there's strategy. It's literally muscle memory and hand eye coordination, and like sitting there with your buddy drinking Mountain Dew till three o'clock in the morning on a yeah. Saturday. Yeah, and <laughs> just gr- grinding away at it. One you know, and then you wake up and the guy's like, "I got to the next level. I got to the next level." You know. And, that was my childhood, basically. Yeah, I can't. I don't know, like, why we took a turn away from that stuff. Like, that was such an innovative, like, way to mix video games and storytelling. And you know, I still think one Sega CD was like my that favorite console. Way too much story to like a lot of these games. Like, I tell you what, if I go to play a modern video game nowadays, I stick it on my console, and it's like two hours before I even get to start to fucking play it. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, <laughs> I I, game. <laughs> with the PlayStation, you get like two free games every month through PlayStation Plus, and so I just I downloaded. I think it was last month was like Just Cause Four, and I've never played any of those games, but I thought, you know, I'm gonna check it out. I threw it on for like 20 minutes. And it was pretty much 15 minutes of story mode and then five minutes of me running around doing shit that I don't even know what the hell I'm supposed to do. I'm like, okay, this game's kind of like Bionic Commando, which I played 35 years ago. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, other than that, I really don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are the games What are the games this month? I haven't I haven't checked yet. I know they just came out today. I, I don't. I, I probably I jump on my PS4 once a week once every other week so i don't get very much game time oh, yeah. but i i tend to revert to mindless um running around shooting uh monsters with killing floor two or uh because you, know, you could just buddy. jump on and play it it's nice <laughs> yeah it, it, it's basically my buddy who lives in california and then my buddy jason who's my effects supervisor will will jump on and just do that for a few hours and bullshit Right. It's yeah. easy to be able to have a conversation and not die in the game because we've been playing it for however long. So, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of uh of media, there's a there's a reason why we have Mister uh, Mister Tony here with us tonight. <laughs> we haven't gotten we haven't done that part yet. Um, nobody knows who you are yet, Tony. Um, Pat, I Tony, I am. <clears throat> uh, Tony's from the Chicagoland area uh in 2005 he uh attended tom savini's f uh 
special effects school in Pittsburgh and began, uh, began production on his Choose Your Own Adventure horror feature, It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, receiving numerous festival awards upon its release, followed by rave reviews from critics and fans alike. It's My Party solidified Walsh and his company, Scotchworthy Productions, as a reliable source for quality independent horror. Uh, I know Tony because he was the helm of the World of Death series, which took uh, basically all of us losers that did not win the ABCs of Death competition, and he was smart enough to put all of our movies together and then release them under the World of Death banner. And um, I know you're associated with BloodyDisgusting.com, which is the premier horror movie website, also based out of Chicago. And I uh, directed a movie called The Rake, which uh, I know I watched in preparation for tonight's show. And also uh, directed a movie called The Muck, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get to talk about that in a second. So is that it? Is that, yeah, is I, I met Tony through Pat tonight, right. this evening. That's <laughs> yeah, 24 minutes ago. Yeah. It's, it's great. <laughs> nice to see you again, Tony. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nice to see your, uh, your 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 audio wavelengths uh, down over there on the screen. So, what part of Chicago are you from? I've never like as as, cl- as much as we've interacted over the years. I don't think I've ever like done the whole like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, you know, it's, so. and, and it's one of those things where it's like I'm like, okay, you know, so you might see people at a horror convention, you know, you might become friends with these people, but you don't actually hang out outside of the horror convention. And so, like, I know that we have a lot of common friends and stuff like that. But uh, I'm out of the Chicago suburbs. I live in Palatine right now. Okay. The site of the famous Brown's Chicken murder. Brown's Chicken. <laughs> right? That's how everybody knows Palatine. Everybody, when you say Palatine, they say Brown's Chicken. Palatine, Brown's Chicken. Palatine, Brown's Chicken. <laughs> I grew up in St. Charles, Illinois, and my okay. wife is from Palatine. And so when we got together and we started dating and we eventually moved in together, she was like, I want to live in Palatine. I really like to live in this area. You know, it's my hometown. I want to be close to my friends and family. And I'm all about it because I love her family. I love her friends. But I was like, I'm moving to Palatine, like Brown's Chicken Palatine. Like, it just always kind of like weirded me out, you know? That was okay. a big so thing. Ashley's from Dayton, Ohio. So so back in, what was it, like the early 90s? Three, maybe, I want to say. There, there was the Brown's Chicken Massacre. And okay. some... Some people, this is actually, it's a, we're laughing about it, but it's really a, it's a fucked no, up story. Terrible. Yeah. It was like five people that were working late night and closing up the Brown's chicken restaurant, uh, basically got murdered and they, they went in the next day that the workers went in the next day to, to open the restaurant up and found like five bodies. I think it was five, um, in the cooler, the walking cooler. And for, it was unsolved for like 20 years, literally unsolved for like 20 years where they had no idea who did this. And it turned out that this one of the two guys who did it was bragging to his girlfriend about how he did this, which I don't know how you murder somebody and then brag about it. Like who thinks yeah, that that really weird. Yeah. Like who thinks somebody's gonna be impressed by that? Um <clears throat> but so that's how they got caught ultimately is he was telling his girlfriend about how him and his friend or brother or whoever it was, they they went in and they, you know. I think they robbed it and then they just shot these people. And was it and was it random or were they I had heard when it was when it was still unsolved, I remember somebody from Palatine. I uh, was at a party 
And I'm like, oh, where are you from? And they say Palatine. And I say Brown's Chicken. <laughs> and uh, they said, yeah, you know, uh, I'm like, whatever happened with that? And they said, well, it, I have a friend on the police force and they think that it was, and who knows if this was fucking true, but um, they they thought it was somebody that worked there, had like an ex-boyfriend or something. And that's who came in like or did it end up being just completely random i don't recall i mean that it got solved it's probably been seven eight years since it got solved at this point so yeah i don't recall well, it, yeah it was it was pretty crazy actually yeah uh, is the brown's chicken still there no it's oh. like a chase bank now oh oh well i mean okay it's probably really haunted i don't know yeah i wouldn't go into the vault of that chase <laughs> gosh tony you gotta be better at telling your brown's chicken story you're from palatine you gotta know this stuff no no he's from st charles you said oh i'm sorry you're right well he lives there now i've lived in palatine for about a year and a half now but i i was put on the spot i didn't realize that that was going to be the topic (laughs) Um, that's that's what the whole episode's about you didn't know but but yeah so i i've lived in the the chicagoland area for pretty much my entire life except for when i was in pittsburgh for savini school um i did that for two years and while I was going to school there, I've always wanted to be a director, um, worked in video stores when I was in high school and stuff. And so I've always been a fast, uh, a, a big film fan and always wanted to make movies. And so when I was going to school there, I just kind of said, you know what, I, I need to, we were doing all these makeups for, you know, for movies, but we were only taking pictures of them. And I was like, well, how come nobody's shooting a movie while we're going to school? And so I came up with a couple of different cockeyed ideas to make a movie or music video or something so that everybody could, um, you know, do a makeup for it and figured I'd get all my friends to do makeups. And and so the, the project would be filled with all these great special effects. And it wouldn't really cost me anything because everybody's doing it to get their stuff on camera. Right. You know. And and ultimately, that project ended up becoming It's My Party, which started as a short film. And I wanted to do the choose your own adventure aspect of it because I knew that if I just made a short film, it's not really that much of a calling card. There's so many people making short films. And this was right before HD became kind of the the general basis for shooting a movie at the independent level. I was still shooting on standard definition. Um, but so, yeah, so I, I basically got that film together while I was doing my third and fourth semesters at Savini School, finished shooting it. And then uh, that ended up kind of starting uh, my whole career as a filmmaker. And since then, I've done um, I did Chance in Hell, which is a World War II Nazi zombie film in 2010. Um, I did High on the Hog with Sid Haig, Robert Zadar and Joe Estevez in 2012. Uh which is more of a grindhouse kind of crime drama thriller. Um, I did obviously the muck, as you said, which is a short film that went to South by Southwest and, and scream fest and a bunch of other, other big film festivals, which was really cool experience. And we're still trying to turn that into a feature. Um, 2015, I did the rake, which is based on a creepypasta. And uh, then we released in 2018 skeletons in the closet, which is an eighties, horror anthology um very much in the vein of um uh, tales from the crypt and uh you know kind of meets married with children meets elvira um so but been doing a little bit of this a little bit of that world of death as you said pat you know i've been uh one of the two co-producers of of that show for the better part of a decade now we've shown over 500 short films 
Uh, we feature more than 50 countries at this point, uh, filmmakers from more than 50 countries. So it's a really cool, uh, a, you know, avenue for independent horror filmmakers to showcase their work through Bloody Disgusting, which most horror aficionados know of. Um, it's the only horror website that has its own app. So, and, and, and a and a landscape rife with horror movie websites. I mean, you know, throw a rock and you're going to hit four of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bloody Disgusting has kind of distinguished itself as being the most legit of, you know, the horror movie websites. And it's, yeah. They're, they're so. definitely the most, um, I'd say they're, they're the most well-known and the most uh, mainstream. I, mm-hmm. That would be the word I'm looking for because, you know, I think that, well, I love that they are all encompassing. I think that they do primarily focus on the more popular stuff because that draws more attention. And so that's what's really great about the guys who run Blade Disgusting is that they, when they, when I talked to them about World of Death, they were all about incorporating that into kind of their palette because it was, you know, something that helped show independent talent. Right. It's it's a very positive thing for for the horror movie community and for independent filmmakers and for filmmakers just coming up um the the reviews that i've done where i you know i'll talk about them on twitter and i can't tell you how many times probably every other every other month that i do one not all the time but like most of the time um i'll get a i'll get a message from one of the filmmakers saying oh my god thank you so much for doing like i had like i picked their fucking movie but like um just the amount of appreciation and gratitude these people have that somebody's paying attention to their movie and somebody's showing it and somebody's giving them that pat on the back that yeah. gets them to, to do the next one yeah. you know it, t- it takes so little encouragement and po- <laughs> filmmakers and artists are so like attention starved like they're like they're like tinkerbells like they die if they don't get applause well but, and like but the problem oh. is is because not to interrupt you the problem is because ultimately the the medium is oversaturated right now and has been for the last 15 years since HD became, you know, commonplace. It's, it's so easy to make a movie that everybody makes a movie. And, you know, so you've got a lot of people out there producing a film and releasing it and your content just gets lost in the mix. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. I I see that what happens a lot with my, I do a weekly review and a lot of the directors will, um, reach out and they show a lot of gratitude you know meanwhile i'm like wow thanks for recognizing that i recognized you that's great exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly and, and that's how i feel and and like i love that i have people such as pat who are enthusiastic enough about what world of death is that they want to help with it without saying where's my paycheck you know it, it's about it's about being a part of a community um which i think is really awesome and that's what makes world of death so great um but you know, it's, it, again, it's just, it's about trying to get stuff out there because so many people work so hard. And and as any of us know, with our different passions, whether it's a podcast or writing or directing or whatever, you are so passionate about it. It's your baby. And then you finish it and you're proud of it and you're excited and you show your friends and family. And of course, they're going to tell you they love it because they don't want to tell you it sucks, whether it does or doesn't suck. And then beyond that audience, you really don't get any feedback you know and and or if you do it's it's the trolls on youtube and which are terrible you know and and so it it just it's really great to be able to have have created this community and and seen it grow as much as it has and um it's funny because we're actually we've transitioned 
uh, I would love to talk a minute about bloody disgusting TV. Sure. sure. Um, so in October, bloody disgusting launched, they partnered with Cynodyme, which Cynodyme is like this huge media mogul. They're like this gigantic company that does distribution and, and all sorts of stuff. And they run a lot of like Roku channels and, and things like that. Yeah. And so they partnered with Bloody Disgusting to create Bloody Disgusting TV, which is currently on Roku. Um, I believe it's channel 770, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, it's on Rad TV, which is an app that you can get on your phone, which is how I watch the channel because I don't have Roku. And it's also on an MX player, which is an international um, platform that has over 250 million subscribers internationally. And they have... A lot of older films, like they're showing Reanimator right now. They've got, you know, uh, The Crazies and, and yeah. all sorts of House on Haunted Hill, all sorts of classic horror movies. But then they also have some original programming um, where they took their podcast, The Boo Crew, and are doing a video version of that. And uh, there's one called Hello Horror, which talks about all things horror. And then there's Bloody Bites, which is what World of Death is turning into. Um, and so... The cool thing about Bloody Bites is it's giving the filmmakers an opportunity to make some sort of revenue off of the ads that are playing during the episodes. Okay. Um, whereas YouTube with World of Death really didn't have that opportunity. Right. It was just exposure. Uh, so I, I'm really excited about that. We've been on, on the air now for a little over three months, and it sounds like the numbers are, are really promising uh, that they've been getting back from Roku. And uh, at, on you know, the unfortunate thing is that that being said, we're kind of transitioning away from world of death. And I know I've expressed this to Pat, who's going to kind of help me finish out the, the last episodes here with reviews, but we're looking to close the doors on world of death um, this summer, uh, which would be like episode 230 something. So it's, yeah. it's been a good run. Yeah. Well, sometimes you have to, you know, you have to, yeah, you, you got to change with the times. And right now Roku channels are, I mean, they're hot. They're the new thing. So, yeah. um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with having a transition as long as your message stays the same, as long as your goal is still, you know, as long as you're doing what you can, it sounds like it, it's going to be even better for, for indie creators and stuff like that. So can't be mad at that. Yeah. I, you know, as much as YouTube is so readily available to anybody at any point in time, I think that, you know, a channel is a spot that people are going to land on and, and check it out for a period of time, as opposed to YouTube where you're constantly inundated with click on this and change this and go here yeah. and do that. Yes. So I'm yeah. and plus YouTube's more on the go. Whereas with Roku and obviously you can still watch this channel on the go. Like I said, I watch it on rad TV on my, my iPhone, but if you really want to get the full experience, sit down on your couch, pop it on your TV, on your Roku and stream it that way. Right. And it, it's pretty awesome. And so we're really excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the transition and we've got some really awesome content these next few months that we're premiering. So, you know, okay. well, that's exciting. I'm excited for you. It sounds great. It sounds like it's going to be tons of fun. Well, let's get back to, uh, you know, kind of why we got you. The, the big reason we got you here so i i watched your um movie today mr tony the the rake i watched that and <laughs> so i know you don't we've never met uh before tonight um i am a full-time 40 investigator i mean i have a podcast but i i i chased 
mythical creatures for a living um, that that I don't believe are so mythical. So it was kind of funny because, you know, Pat tells me that because um, we've been we've been doing this guest thing for this is kind of a new thing for us. And he tells me that he's interested in having you come on the show. And he's like, yeah, he just did this movie uh, about the rake. And I'm like, oh, the rake. Um, me and the rake have a really interesting relationship. <laughs> so um, I'm curious, what what led to you wanting to make a movie about this creepy pasta? So again, Jason, my special effects uh, supervisor, who's uh-huh. one of my best friends, um, he and I will sit and bullshit horror all day. And so... We were trying to, this was right off the success of, of the festival success of the Muck short film. Uh-huh. We spent the better part of 2014 developing the feature length version of that movie. And after six or seven months, we got to the point where we kind of said, you know what? We're not generating the financial interest that we thought we would get from investors mm-hmm. to produce this movie on the scope that we had hoped. So we're going to have to, you know, kind of uh, put this one on the back burner for the time being. And I was really disappointed because I thought that the movie had a lot of steam. And at that point in my career as a filmmaker, I I felt like I was on the up and up. And so it was just really disheartening for me that we had to kind of shut the doors on that project. So I was sitting at Jason's house one night. We were having a couple of beers. We were probably watching a shitty 80s horror movie on on TV. Yeah. And we went outside for a minute so he could smoke a cigarette. And I was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm bummed, man. Like, I want to, I want to do something. And he's like, well, fuck it. You know, if we can't, sorry, if I'm not supposed to. No, you're, you can cuss. It's fine. We're, we're vulgar on this show. We're not good. Um, So, you know, he's, he's like, well, fuck it. Like, if you can't make the muck, which we wanted to make for, you know, a million dollars or 1.5 million or something, if you can't make that, why don't we do something else? Let's make a low budget movie about a creepypasta. What about the rake? And I'd heard of Slenderman and a couple of the other creepypastas, but I'd never, and I'd heard of the rake, but I never really did much research on it. I'm not a Reddit rabbit holer or any of that right. stuff. So Jason's like, well, here, just read this. And he pulled a couple of rake stories up on his phone and I read through them. I'm like, this is pretty cool. My two favorite subgenres of horror are haunted houses and creature features. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I've always wanted to do that. And this would be something that part of the criticism with the muck was it was too big. And so we needed, if we were going to realistically make a film, it would have to be something that takes place primarily in one location with a minimal group of actors. But where I believe my film family exceeds versus or excels versus other independent companies is that we do really well with the practical special effects work um, because both Jason and I went to Savini's effects school. And so we thought if we can do something that has minimal group of actors, minimal locations. So the movie's cheap in general, except for the monster and the death scenes that should be feasible at a lower budget. And yeah, absolutely. So it was basically incepted that night. And then I got together with um, two of my co-producers, Robert Patrick Stern and Sarah Sharp, who uh, I've worked on three features at this point, And we produced the muck together um and just kind of pitched them the idea 
and they were on board with it. And that was October of 2014. And by March, we were shooting. I think I, so I, I'll say this. I, I watched the muck today, too. Um, Pat sent me that. I didn't realize that was a, a thing that was out there. And I really like that. I'm a big creature feature person as well. So I, I like this new kind of updated version of like the blob, you know. And uh, I, I'm I'm very sad that this hasn't hasn't been a thing yet, and I hope that it that it does in the future. How um, big did it get? Uh, you said, you said the the movie got too big. I'm like, oh, like where does that, you know? Because the the short is pretty for for the for the for our listeners who have not seen it. First of all, go see it. It's on it's on Vimeo. Um, but the muck, watch it. It's on Vimeo. Yeah. Just Google it. It's um, an episode of the of World of Death. I think it's episode 24. It's Halloween episode of whatever 2016 i think so i think it's episode 24 yeah so we'll, we'll link it in the podcast yeah, in the description so yeah and it's it's like six minutes long it's 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 it hits all the bases it moves very very quickly and um you know it's it, so it's basically a chick uh takes a bath and uh the the bathtub discharges something other than water and hilarity ensues so what i'm wondering is like how how big did that get because you could keep that relatively small right but i mean where's the fun in that how how big did it get so basically that sequence would be the the opening tag or something right? yeah essentially it's the second death in the movie um okay the entire movie takes place in 1986 and the summer of 1986 in a neighborhood that surrounds a, a like a pond um there's and so the 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 focal point of the of the story is like four households surrounding this pond that have waterfront pop property on this pond. Okay. And so it's, it's just kind of what's happening with those characters and, and how the muck is slowly infesting, you know, their plumbing uh, in these houses and how it's killing them one by one and, and whatnot. And it all takes place over the course of like 4th of July weekend or whatever type of thing. You know? <laughs> okay. All right. So when we, uh, when we did our world to death, uh, contribution which was tia's for tentacles from the um abc's even though it's for the abc's which is very similar to muck yeah (laughs) um so i was so convinced that that like i thought like we're making live action hentai here like this is something that's never been done before now it's now tentacle porn is very passe but this was like in 2012 not and not that like we even invented it back then but to do a live action um representation of that was a little like you didn't see it and now i mean they sell dildos that look like tentacles like you know but back then once again it wasn't as commonplace i was so convinced that that not only were we going to win the abc's of death but that this was going to be like this was going to lead to bigger and better things that i went and wrote the full-length screenplay for that and was like It's like we're gonna make so much fucking money off this tentacle shit, and like it was just absolutely. I, I cranked it out in like less than a month, and just sat there and was like, "All right, let's see when's it gonna happen. When are we gonna make this fucking thing?" And it never, never happened. I mean, and you people still could. I just think that maybe don't pitch it to don't pitch it to to you know the horror community. Pitch it to the porn community. There you go. Well, yeah, because there was so what what it was gonna be called was something's under the bed like something under the bed is drooling because i'm a big calvin Hobbes fan yeah and that was gonna be uh the world of death thing was gonna be the the first death in the movie and then um moving forward from that there was gonna be this monster that traveled through people's beds 
and uh, it would come out from different people's beds. So there was a scene uh, with a with two guys where they were killed, um, and that was very homoerotic. Obviously, there was a scene where a chick goes on the run and she falls asleep in her car, and then it comes out in this park in this empty parking lot and attacks her in the car. Um, and we played with like the whole convention of what's a bed and when you fall asleep and why is it traveling underneath the bed? And then, you know, the third act was completely bonkers. But yeah, man, it's it's hard. Like when you have these great ideas that the world just doesn't want to fucking listen to, or at least in your own mind, you're like, this is great. You know what I mean? Like this is going to, and, and even like the short, you know, uh, I mean, we, you get some success with it. People seem to like the short and it's like, okay, well, if you like the six minute version, wait till you see the 85 yeah. minute version. It, you know, it's, it's all about just finding the right audience. You know, if, if, if I, I imagine if I had more connections to big money producers, they wouldn't have a problem investing in something because that, that we've done, because I think the quality speaks for itself. Even if, even if they don't think that I'm a talented filmmaker, they can at the very least look at my co-producers and my, my other film family representatives like Rob's camera work and Sarah's production design and Jason's special effects and say, you know, these guys are competent. They just need a little more money behind their projects to actually get them to the next level. But, you know, it, it's all about who you know. And, and right now things are very political with filmmaking, so which we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but no, I, I just I'm glad that the film did what it did. It helped us secure some of the financing for the rake. So yeah. it essentially would not have happened if it wasn't for the muck. Well, um, you made the rake at a really good time at kind of the because the rake legend was I mean, that was pretty much right when it came out was when you guys were talking about it. I mean, it's not it's pretty new. And, you know, I got to tell you, it's a hell of a lot better than the big Slenderman blockbuster. That movie was not good. Yeah, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And then, you know, that's a really unfortunate thing is I don't think that the rake was packaged well at all. I think that when we were making that movie, it's like what Pat said about tentacles where, you know, and I felt that way about most of my films. When I was making It's My Party, I thought it was gonna be the next Evil Dead. And I'm sorry that I say that out loud, but I... I <laughs> That's all right, man. It's <laughs> I, I was like, this is gonna be the next independent, you know, cult classic for horror. And and in some ways it, it became that with a lot of people and in, some, and in a lot of ways it didn't become that. And so I, I appreciate the audiences that all my projects have found and that that I've been able to make movies for, for almost two decades at this point. But, um, you know, the rake was something that when we were making that movie, we were like, this is, this is legit. This is, this is like us getting to Hollywood. You know, I felt yeah. like we had actually made it. And so, um, I'm very proud of how good that movie looks. I, I yeah. love the monster. Uh, I love the actors in it. I think that the set design that that house is so creepy. Those woods are creepy yeah um so it, it was definitely timely i think it worked great and i agree i thought the slender man feature was crap yeah um, so yeah this it, one was much better if, if you if they were gonna if hollywood was gonna tell a creepypasta story this one should have been it um because they just didn't do the slender man justice at all and the rake is so mysterious that you kind of had your wiggle room to kind of make it how you wanted and in in the movie um i'm not sure how many of the listeners have have watched it they probably will now but but in the film the monster changes um which is really interesting um yeah, I have to, for for being someone who seems so um, embedded in the community of creepy pasta, I do sincerely appreciate your uh, leeway 
with how we told the story, Ashley, because I, I, I think that some people would, would look at how we told the rake and say, oh, well, that's not at all what, you know, you took way too many liberties with the, the creature design and, and just kind of the mythos of it. Um, and so I, I do appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it very much. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I was worried uh, because like I said, I have a really strange relationship with, with the rake because, uh, you know, again, being, um, I do a lot of uh, cryptozoology. I myself am making a documentary about the Mothman currently. And um, so a lot of people, a lot of people come to me and uh, they tell me all their weird, crazy sightings and encounters. And a lot of those is is the rake. And um, it, it can get kind of annoying. I say all the time on the show, um, you've got three different types of people when you're in this business you've got the people that are lying and they want their 15 minutes of fame you got the people that are mentally ill and they believe that they really had these encounters but didn't and then you've got the people that are telling the truth um unfortunately when it comes to like the rake stories a lot of those people it's just it's trendy to tell that story so it kind of hurts it, it hurts my community a little bit in a way um however i have recently found out that the rake is based off of um an actual creature in the cryptozoology community known as crawlers and it's pretty much the same creature which is really kind of interesting so getting the rake story out there and making people kind of dig because at first you like see the pictures of the rake and like you hear the story and you're like wait is this real and then you start digging into it and you come to find out oh there are sightings of this thing there are happenings of this thing um you know and then it gets people actually interested in in, in high strangeness i mean it's a good start into it so um, it's definitely made me change my perspective on things um, because, you know, especially recently, it's just been kind of a theme. The rakes kind of been coming up in my life a lot lately. So it's interesting that that we're here and now. I, I don't know. I might have to I might have to cut this question because I don't know if this is a rumor that I should bring up or something you don't want to bring up. But I hear you're, you're playing with the idea of making a movie about the Wendigo. Oh, wow. I, we're, I, where'd that come from? Oh, <laughs> wow <laughs> you told me i don't know I didn't, I didn't like hack into your email i mean did i tell you that i don't yes <laughs> dude, i don't i don't remember oh that's right i did tell you that i'm sorry i dude i'm so like wrapped up in so much fucking shit right now in my life no it's good uh, um well yeah i'm i'm kind of trying to I, you know it's tough because it's like do you don't want to talk too much about things that are that are in development um, I, yeah we talked about that we, before the show me and pat did actually <laughs> yeah i i, I kind of heard part of that and and so it's like i i understand where you're coming from because you like you don't want to speak before something happens you don't want to put the cart before the horse but i i've been working on a script that i think kind of has some some aspects of that and i've actually got another concept that is a lot more in tune to the Wendigo or Wendigo, or I know there's like multiple different pronunciations yeah. of it, depending yeah, on where you're is. at in the Algonquian, uh, you know, um, uh, area. But yeah. I, I had actually done a, a short film um, that was based loosely off the scary stories that tell in the dark rendition of the tale. Okay. Um, yeah. which I always thought was more terrifying than the, the kind of, flesh eater yeah version. um the idea of this kind of fiery effigy carrying you off into the night in the middle of the winter that just that story was always my favorite from the three scary stories books okay. um so i did a short film 
that has never been finished editing and no one's ever seen the light and no one's ever seen it, unfortunately. And I'm, I feel terrible about it, but I did that back in 2006 after shooting It's My Party. And I've always kind of wanted to go back and touch upon that concept a little bit more. And I feel like the, the Wendigo is so much more uh, popular these days, so much more mainstream. It really is. Yeah. yeah it, it would be a good time to do that. And the concept I have, I think, could be done for relatively cheap because it's very it's very contained to minimal cast, minimal actors minimal yeah. locations and um so but yeah, you, I have you, this story, so, like pat if you want to spitball movie ideas you said you can write a script in a month but, uh, <laughs> oh hey anything you need written on spec you know me i don't look for a paycheck but uh <laughs> seriously the, look at the uh look at the if, if you're gonna listen to one episode of ours because we watched two of your movies and i didn't oh, even get to talk about the well. rake. I, didn't, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the oh, rake yet, my impression of it but we we did an episode on wendigo's uh what when day goes depending on uh i i don't think it's what part of this the algonquin like landscape you're i think what part of the midwest you are and how bad your accent is <laughs> right uh, <laughs> but in chicago it's like when day goes uh they uh we did an episode on them uh probably i think it was like december it was when we were moving into the winter december. season yep, it was. and it's one of our better episodes not only because we touched upon the mythology but because we don't for most of the episode we talk about literally everything else but um yeah i mean we did a deep dive that's what was so funny that you brought it up and i, I mentioned it to ashley's because we did a deep dive on them um about a month ago yeah, month and a half ago yeah. and then to hear that you were working on it for a movie yeah there's so many different variations to that mythology and it's something that i think the the conclusion that we came from uh on the show was that it's probably not it it, it was probably just like native americans explaining you know how terrifying the winter time is in the midwest totally and green right and- you know what i mean and 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 why people do crazy shit when they suffer from hypothermia um there probably wasn't any kind of biological counterpoint where there was some kind of misidentified creature it was just you know being stuck on the midwestern plains in the middle of february and dealing with the freezing cold and howling wind and then and you know and the uncertainty of life and how that's terrifying enough well- but moving one of the reasons why I bring up the Wendigo is because a lot of people, when they think of the Wendigo, they think of like that deer type of creature. And that's actually, that's not a part of the legend at all. Um, as a matter of fact, they they were described as like these tall, lanky, gray skin, no hair. I mean, you know, kind of beings that, you know, that's what they look like in almost every single version of, of the way it's told. And um, so it's that's interesting because now guess what? We also have... <laughs> the rake you know and and then we have you know the cryptozoological uh crawlers um so they're all kind of part of that same category so i don't think it would be a bad idea to like lean into that you know having experience um with the makeup and stuff because the the practical effects in that movie were amazing uh, in the rake they were really i mean they were really good yeah i i so i don't know anything about the rake i don't know creepypasta i know what the slender man is but going back to the five nights at Freddy thing that's only because i have a kid that watches youtube videos right about it. <laughs> and there was that there was that heartbreaking case up in uh wisconsin where the two yeah. girls uh you know killed the tried to kill the third um because of slender man and, and that documentary which was uh really good but yeah the rake i went into that not knowing anything about any of this and was completely blown away because i had never seen any tony's movies and once again like i kind of knew this dude but not really and i was like wow this guy makes real fucking movies like that's how that's how good that looked that opening scene was great 
I, I, I wanted to ask you like, uh, how, how hard was it? I'm sure it wasn't that hard, but like just shooting that first kill in front of the kids. Cause you did, pre- pre- I mean, that was practical effects when the dude's throat splits open and dumps all the fucking guts out on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was that was that a concern like when their parents were like yes you can use our kid in the movie well like so the so we had um we had a group of of producers from la basically co-finance the project with us and they're the ones who got some of the name talent like they rented you their children <laughs> well, no, no, no. So they, they, they just the the project was sold during production very much so as this you know hollywood production and so when you're shooting in arlington heights illinois and below okay. illinois where the the people are not accustomed to a film production taking place and you're coming in and actually have you know big lights and actually have a big camera and you know you have an actor that was in dumb and dumber 2 with you know jim carrey and an actress that was in you know uh the coyote ugly and and clash of the titans and stuff they look at that and they're like oh this is this is pretty big deal this is pretty awesome so not only do they want to let you do whatever it is that you need to do to accomplish getting the film in the can you know they they get excited about it the whole time yeah and so not only did the family that we rented that house from let us totally throw blood all over their house, but on top of it, the parents of those, those little kids were like, well, my kid is, my kid's been in a local Luna carpet commercial. Other than that, other than that, nothing like they, they were in a student production of, of, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream or something. And, and now here they are starring in a movie that, you know, that's going to actually be distributed and, and be out there. And so, um, they they were very open to it. Both of those kids, Joey and um and Alexis or Alexa were were awesome kids to work with. Um so yeah, it, it wasn't a big deal. They like we we shot like I sprayed them in the face with the blood. Um, <laughs> but other than that, they knew what was going on and, and I kind of explained it. And there's that scene where there's kind of like the the nightmare where Alexa has the, uh, her eyes cut out as the little girl, mm-hmm. you know? And so knowing that she was excited to be able to do that herself, she wasn't as scared about him having his eyes cut out because she knew it was all makeup. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah that, he's that, pretty that, young, but God, that one kid, the boy had the, he's got the most impressive head of hair. I think I've ever seen. Is that his hair? Oh yeah. Yeah. We didn't put wow. it on or anything lucky kid it's just you know you normally see it cut around how you like you see stuff like that done so that with the cutting where the kids aren't obviously viewing what and then but you didn't do that (laughs) and that's i think what like caught me so off guard with that opening scene and then you it goes right from there almost right from there maybe right from there into a, a drone shot of the car driving down the road and that's when i was like wow this is a real fucking movie like this it, you're right it does look great and then the movie itself was good but then uh, skipping to the very end it ends on a very very strong note too thank you and uh, that's what i was like wow like you talk about how this was your first real movie and this was like very professional and you know it, it looks like a million bucks it looks like 16 million bucks according to imdb and uh it definitely <laughs> well that's the, my mdb page is full of bullshit don't worry about it I, yeah. I that's what it's there for I know. uh 
but yeah, so it was, uh, I mean, it was impressive as fuck. And I, I, like I said, I knew nothing about the rake. I, I thought it was a great story because it dealt with, um, mental illness and compassion. How the, the two siblings trying to show compassion for, uh, the cousin or no the the brother and the cousin trying to show compassion for the sister and how both of their significant others were uh i don't know less than uh less than compassionate about it less than empathetic yeah and i didn't know enough about the original thing to draw anything draw any kind of comparisons back so it that didn't upset me at all well you know? it's unfortunate because we we had intended on incorporating a lot more of the creature mythos into the story, as well as the story of the characters. And, and a lot of that was cut out for the sake of just making it a quicker movie. Um, yeah. Oh, the running, you can't beat that running time. Oh, like, oh. and that's, I mean, that's, that's not up to me though. When you get, that's kind of the, the give and the take of when you, when you sign on with people who are giving you money to make a movie, you know, you kind of have to let them have their druthers at time. And, and, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, and so we we had to lose a lot of the the interview footage with the killer Jacob Murphy at the beginning of the movie. There's yeah. really great narrative work there where he is explaining his own backstory of like, you know, what you see in the movie is just him saying, you know, the rake has infected my life and now it'll infect yours. But what we shot of that interview is him explaining how he first came across the rake when it infected his mother and she commits suicide. And when he goes and finds her dead body, she's blown her head off with a shotgun in the bathroom and her five-year-old son discovers her body and he watches the rake blossom out of her dead body. Oh, and God. that all of that description to me is what really drives home just how terrifying the rake can be in our in our story um, yeah. but unfortunately well, it was all taken out of well that's something i wanted to say about it was that you know the the whole lore behind the rake like you know and i don't know if uh, you know it sounds like it was on purpose but i didn't know originally if it was was that you can kind of manifest this creature because at first it was kind of ambiguous right we didn't know if this was a real thing or if it was mental illness and so um but part of it is that if you if you believe in it if you give it you know in real life if you give it power then it exists and that's kind of what i was picking up from it you know watching that that opening sequence and whatnot i i initially had described it to people when i meet when i'm at conventions or when i'm talking on a podcast i always used to describe it as freddy krueger but a monster so like imagine freddy krueger with werewolf but to me it's a lot more it, it hits home a lot more if you say it's like candy man but it's a werewolf yeah i think it's a little bit headier than and then freddy krueger or or your typical monster because of the way that it deals with the the way that trauma and ptsd and especially childhood trauma is like a virus yeah and the way that it's spread and the way that it can be passed it's generational sometimes too and the fact that you know you have the one uh sister decide to terminate the pregnancy and then you know the cousin is you know she's knocked up and that's a plot and i'm giving away the whole fucking movie now but like that's all right uh, you know I, I thought that 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 level of um that that to have something contextually layered like that is not something that you see in your average uh, horror movie. And it was definitely wasn't something I expected from anything related to creepypasta. And I, I guess I don't even know that much about, I mean, I know it's like a Reddit thing. If you guys want to talk about that real quick or just, or maybe it's already a, a, 
we kind of blew past it, yeah, but I like mean, the difference confused. between what was the original rake mythos and how how did it like what what's the deal with creepypasta? It, it, on the off chance that the listeners are like me and don't and don't know hang out on there creepy or whatever. Pastas are ba- they're they're basically modern day urban legends. Um, sometimes you know they they have some type of you know alleged evidence behind it like slender man started because there was a photograph of slender man and that's that's where the creator took it and he he entered in this this photoshop contest with this creepy photo and created a backstory behind it right so basically people take the like message boards and forums and they'll create these legends and they just kind of other people from around the world will kind of join in on the story and it kind of grows oh at least in the case of the rake and so um it was just a couple of guys that you know made some backstory on some message board somewhere and people have now um they created like a whole forum where people could come like report encounters with the rake it's just kind of grown into its own its own thing and it's like a bullshit creative writing thing right like the people that are writing and reporting encounters are just other people it's like a a group creative writing project yeah Yeah. okay yeah pretty much yeah and no one owns that stuff so you could just go on there and take their shit and make a movie out of it uh, well, you know, somebody came up with the idea, but since it's on the internet, I think it was always one of those things where it's just kind of public domain because oh, okay. you're, you're airing your idea out there. And since we took liberty on the concept, all we used was the name itself. It's it's a little more lenient, I think. And ultimately, our co-producers from LA they did a lot of the legal background checking on it, and mm-hmm. and they ultimately said, you know what. That we're not worried that if we invest money in this movie and time in producing it with you, that it's going to end up causing us our, our, you know, our, our studio. So clearly it, it ended up being okay. And at this point we haven't had any legal issues, knock on wood, but um, yeah, you know, it's again, at the end of the day, I'm, I, I, I'm glad people like you discover it and, and enjoy it. I, I really wish that more people would check it out. I think that the, I wish that that there was more promotion for the film because I don't think that um, I don't think it's release really did the hard work that we all put into it justice, but it is available on Amazon prime. It's on Tubi, um, So it's out there for you to watch for free, um, which, which makes it a heck of a lot easier for people to go and check out. So I highly recommend people do. If you like practical special effects, if you like monster movies, um, don't get urban legends. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of the listeners will definitely go check it out. I think it just, you know, I I think it's well, you know, like we had talked about the the Tentacles movie, it it just was marketed to the wrong audience. Um, I think that had it been more spread around the the relevant community, I think I think more people, you know, would see it. Um, and that's uh, kind of the intention here to do that to to get it to the correct audience, so that way you know more people can see it and talk about it. So. Well, and it just it it didn't ultimately have a a run at festivals or anything like that, and and that I think is where you know as much as I have my ups and downs about festival experiences, I think that a movie like The Rake, if it had been pushed into some of the larger horror or genre festivals. Um, like Fantastic Fest or Fantasia, Scream Fest, even Sundance or South by Southwest, I think that it would have garnered an audience at that point and a reputation just as being a film that was showcased at one of those festivals or multiple festivals. Um, But since it didn't have that opportunity, uh, I just think that it lost out on on the ability to to find a lot of horror audiences. Because like I said, if you're a horror fan like I am, like, like you guys are, you go on Tubi, which is a wonderful mecca for any yeah. horror films and old yeah. 
classic 80s and 70s horror films but you spend an hour and a half searching through their horror catalog alone and and the rake pops up literally like 1477 movies down from the top you know you know what I've been using too before? I don't know if it's going to happen, but me and one of my buddies were talking about doing a podcast that's an episode by episode breakdown of the Red Shoe Diaries. Oh God! And that is they have they have that all on Tubi. Tubi's fucking awesome. If you and it's you can to our listeners, you can download it for free on um, PlayStation and it, wherever you download, it's on the PlayStation Store. So you can watch it on your PlayStation. Wherever you do, wherever you do apps, it's one of those free things. And there's a commercial every once in a while, whatever. But there's a lot of great content on there. Heavy Metal Parking Lot's on there, which I showed my kid the other day, and we were laughing our asses off. Um, all the Rudy Ray Moore movies, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Um, and then, yes, every every episode of the Red Shoe Diaries, plus the uh, made-for-TV movie starring David Duchovny. Well, David Duchovny was in the series, too, but... <laughs> Yeah, Tubi, I'm, I'm I'm absolutely in love with that. That's yeah. a great service. The fact, like, it's like, yeah, you've got commercials, but it's un it's unedited content. So I love right that exactly. I'm still watching a rated R movie that's uncut, but it just has commercials. But I get yeah. it for free. Um, yeah, I used to be a lot for if you're, if you're in the Midwest, you can get it on Comcast. You don't even have to download an app. You can literally go to your apps on Comcast if you have cable like that, and it'll be there with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Vudu and all that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know oh. that. That's pretty neat. Wow. No, I like Tubi. It's a, it's a great service um, for all of your, especially especially if you're into like the indie stuff, yeah. um, which, you know, for the most part, um, I think a lot of my, I think a lot of my listeners probably are. So are we going, you know, we've, you've kind of talked about it a little bit. Are, are we going to get more of, of the muck later? Is that a, is that a hope still or? Um, I'm, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed about one potential opportunity right now. Um, I've got a, a friend of mine and he's mostly done post-production work, but he's looking to start getting into, um, producing other content and is really eager to, to get the muck out there. Um, so we've, we've been trying to get that put together and, uh, it's just a matter of, of whether we find the right connection for the money and, and yeah. can get it going. So we'll see. I would love to see. I think that we kind I think that's something that we kind of need in the horror community we don't, we don't really have too many you know good old-fashioned creature features anymore and and i think that would be a good one it reminds me a lot of the um in uh creep show 2 the yeah, the raft yeah. that's yeah. i was gonna bring that up because yeah. on the imdb page for the movie you mentioned that that was an inspiration and that was that was one of those things where if you were to ask me about creep show I would. That's all I can think of. Is the raft? Is the, is the raft? Yeah. Or or Ted Dance and cockroaches, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. there no, one where Ted he's Dance in an apartment? The the tide, the ocean. Yeah, but uh, are there someone in an apartment? And there's cockroaches. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, the, I don't know, but that raft thing, dude. Every time I go swimming, Jaws Jaws did, did not make me afraid to go in the water. It was the raft. The raft. <laughs> yeah, and that's really so. It started where I wanted to do the Merc. Because it was the ABCs of death. It was uh, the 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 M one. I thought about that when I saw that it was muck. I was like, because the second one was M is for was the letter M. The first one was T. Second one was M. When I saw that, but then I saw that you made it later. So I was like, oh well, it couldn't have been. Yeah, no. So so it was M is for muck is what we did. But originally, I didn't want to do an ABCs of death short because I thought there's going to be tons of movies in there. We're not going to win. We don't stand a chance. I don't want to waste people's time and money making a short film. 
And then I literally had six different friends say, are you making one? Are you making one? We're going to make one. Do you want to help us on ours? And finally, we just said, you know what? Screw it. Let's just make one. And I had thought about doing the Merc, which I wanted to do a little boy, like, you know, a 10 year old, 12 year old boy with his dog going fishing in the pond in the backyard of the house that we shot the muck in where we were living. I was like, let's just get a kid to go fishing and we'll have Jason dressed up in like a black garbage bag covered in slime, jump out of the water, grab the dog <laughs> and pull the dog in the water and then grab the kid and pull the kid in the water. And I was like, nah, I don't want to put Jason in that water because that water is probably radioactive because this pond is gross. <laughs> so then I thought, well, what if I make it a cheerleader who comes home from school and she is washing something in the kitchen sink and it comes out of the kitchen sink and fucks her face up. And I'm like, nah, why don't I take it one step further and let's actually have it in the bathtub because then we can make it even sexier. And, oh, yeah. And, and I just I kept picturing Dana from Ghostbusters when she comes home from working out and gets taken by the chair into the kitchen. Yeah. Is that why they have she's wearing those nylons? 100 percent. I mean, oh, my God, those things belong in the fucking Smithsonian. I could I could smell those things from my computer chair. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, I wonder if he's got those nylons in a box somewhere in his garage. Definitely not. Oh my god. My wife would think I was a real creep. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, okay. But yeah, I would I would love to see, you know, the muck feature like I said takes place in in the subdivision where Laverne, that's the girl's name, she is one of four houses that are surrounding this pond and there's a family that's moved in um that's kind of you know moving in their house and so the water's not shut on or is not turned on yet so they live a little bit longer than everybody else because the muck doesn't have any way to get in their house yet and, right and okay. then you've got the, the the teenage girls that live across the pond that becomes the love interest of the boy who's moved into the house and um and then like another i wanted one of the couples to be like this old couple and i was hoping to get like you know, your horror staples, whether it's like Tom Atkins and Adrian Barbeau, which would be a great nod to Creepshow and, and yeah. you know, the fog and stuff. Um, or even somebody a little bit younger, like uh, Barbara Crampton and, and sure. you know, somebody like that. So we'll see. I, I've been very excited about the Muck feature line concept for, you know, five, six years now. And it would be awesome to actually see it come back to life and, and, uh, ooze out of the faucet in a theater near you my only complaint about the short was that it was there was not more of it you know so <laughs> i would that's that's the beauty of it they, there's like the, the dialogue is the answering machine message and that's it that's yeah. it yeah but other than that you don't have to worry about you know it's it's movies like that like i i refer to them as idiot proof because like you think about how simple the, the execution is that's not taking anything away from it i'm not you know but it's it, i think when you come up with an idea that translates that is that effective that requires that little overhead that's how you know it's a good idea well, right and i lend a lot of what people like about the muck to rob robert patrick stern who shot it um on his red camera you know i I, I wanted it to be a lot more like cut up in more music video and, you know, like fast paced music video. And Rob was like, well, I think we should really explore the space more with the camera since there's no dialogue. You know, I was thinking, OK, we're going to just machine gun our way through all this to get her into the bathtub. And he's like, well, no, I mean, what if we do this instead and just really kind of flow through this house as if we're creeping up on this girl like the muck and i was like dude 
sold. Yeah. You know? And it's such a great location too. Like that everything from that doorbell to the fucking ashtray in the bathroom. Like it just reminded me of like my grandma's house growing up. Like you couldn't, it, it, it's such a great location. Like, yeah, like take your time to like, enjoy it. Cause it, it, it adds to the mise-en-scene of the, of the whole thing, you know, of the, of the short. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, I mean, we got lucky, you know, Jim, our Jim Peterson, who's my, one of our co-producers and the guy who owned the house, you know, um, he, he, to his credit, hasn't updated his house in 40 years. So, you know, it's pretty <laughs> awesome that, that the house still looked like that and is habitable. And, um, and we were able to shoot in it. We've actually shot a ton of different movies in it. A lot of our feature anthology movie, Skeletons in the Closet, which has the trailer to the muck in it, which is part of that universe that I said I create uh, in mm -hmm. my projects. Um, that a lot of that movie was shot in the house as well and takes place in the eighties. So if you guys like the muck and you like the rake, I highly recommend you watch skeletons in the closet, which is also on Amazon and Tubi for free. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm super excited. It's uh, I'm, I'm, I really want the muck to be a thing. It's so bad. You have no, I, I saw it and I was like, damn, I want to see that movie. <laughs> Not that I didn't enjoy the rake. I just think, you know, the eighties are so hot right now. It's such, it's such a big, you know, trendy thing. And then I think, like I said, it's been a long time since we've had a really good monster movie. I think that this would be it. So I'm behind it a thousand percent. And if there's anything that, you know, we could do for you to get it to happen. Hey, I, yeah, I <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I really do. It's, it's all about getting the word out and getting people interested. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that it's funny because I don't really know what the money people in Hollywood and in the film industry really think is, is is what makes a successful horror movie successful because yeah. you look at a movie like terrifier which i'm not personally a huge fan of i don't really like torture porn which i think is kind of what terrifier is but i i appreciate the special effects in that movie but that movie was super popular and it's totally a popcorn movie there's no plot there's yeah. no explanation behind them the the clown that's killing everybody there's not even really a protagonist in it it's just people getting murdered one minute after another and it's super popular. And yeah. I think that midnight kind of drive-in popcorn movies like that are, are something that the horror audience is really yearning for. And for some reason, you know, people really aren't putting those out unless it's the $10,000 feature that's being produced and, and put out on again, Tubi or right. know, free on YouTube, you know, um, or being sold at a horror convention like some of our friends and, and us do, you know? So yeah, for sure. it, it would be awesome to see somebody look at this and say, look, Stranger Things is successful. Um, you know, It Follows was successful. Yeah. There's so many different examples of quality, independent projects that are, that became mainstream that are, are 80s themed. Um, right that this fits in the the same universe well, it, and, and i mean the 80s had all kinds of movies you know like like the muck i mean it would be kind of a great love letter to it i think um i, I just think you know what if if it's gonna get made now's now's the time to do it so i'm i'm, I'm gonna push for you so <laughs> I'm gonna get it i say make it twice put it out in the yeah. just put it out in the universe for me I'm, I'm definitely going to do that. Well, Tony, I definitely want to thank you for having you on today. Um, I'm excited to show people your, um, your rake movie and, and hopefully, you know, we'll have, we'll have another one in the future. And, you know, maybe when, when the muck gets made, we'll bring you back. 
that would be awesome. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I want to thank you guys for taking the time to have me on the show and talk about our stuff a bit. And I love talking about creepy stuff. So it was great to be able to bullshit for a little while with both of you about all these different things. So thank sure. you. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next Wednesday.